The following podcast, The Hill Never Ends, was recorded live at the Roslyn Packer Theatre in Walsh Bay, Sydney, on February 28, 2016. The Gathering of the Clan was an event designed to celebrate the long history of the Bachelor of Communications Theatre Media degree at Charles Sturt University in Bathurst. Former lecturers, current lecturers, graduates, undergraduates and fellow travellers gathered to network, share stories and rekindle old friendships forged in this unique, creatively transformative degree. For those who couldn't make it to the event in Sydney, I hope this podcast takes you there and allows you to experience just some of the atmosphere and inspiring conversations shared. It was a great afternoon. In this episode, I talked to Kath Melbourne about her work with Legs on the Wall, amongst other things. Stephanie McClellan discusses acting and Annabelle Scholes talks directing. Bill Blakey honours the legacy of John Carroll and Phil Glenn asks us to remember those we have lost. I'm standing here with Kath Melbourne, 1994 to 1997. Uh, Kath is now the CEO of Legs on the Wall here in Sydney. Kath, tell us about your current role. Well, I run a small to medium arts organisation called Legs on the Wall. One of the organisations that I um, absolutely admire when I was a TM, I saw them in Homelands on the side of the AMP building and thought, oh my God, that's amazing. I could never do that and, and now I'm in this position where I'm running the company. It's, it's quite an interesting circle. You've had many different positions since graduating. Can you talk us through some of those? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, when I graduated, I had my own company and I was doing circus and fire performance. Um, unfortunately, that ended uh, with an injury and I went more into Indigenous arts and program management. A bit of time in local government uh, and setting up a youth theatre company in Melbourne. And then Melbourne Fringe. I was the creative head of Melbourne Fringe. I took a little detour and decided um, I'd go to the Australia Council and um, I got given the role to reimagine all their young and emerging artist programs. Uh, at the end of that we added nine million dollars to the arts budget uh, and it was time then for me to go back out into the arts sector as a producer and then eventually in my role that I'm in now. It's just an incredible um, history there. What skills did the Theatre Media course set you up with that has allowed you to have such an amazing career? One of the great things about uh, the way that theatre media is taught within a communications degree is that you understand a lot more about the audience and you understand a lot more about communicating across stakeholders, whether that's in an artistic context, a government context or a producing context. And I think that that really stands out as a difference, um, not only in my career, but when I see graduates, and I saw a lot of them when I was at the Australia Council, in that when you do theatre media through a communications degree, it's different to doing it through a fine arts degree. You're able to multitask more. You're, you're not as much of a specialist. You understand a number of different roles within the industry. And also within media, I think you give a really good understanding of how to engage with the media in your practice. Were there any particular experiences you had that you thought were most valuable or advice that you give to current undergraduates to get involved with? Look, I, you know, I think that one of, the, one of the decisions you have to start making, and I did in second year, is that I started to work professionally outside of the course. And sometimes your marks go down because of that. But you are given an opportunity and you are given some... Uh, 
networks and some uh, people that you can get that kind of work from. And I would say that being less isolated and more connected with the industry from early on in your course is probably a good thing because it's not so much of a shock when you leave. Um, you, you have more of an understanding of the outside world and, um, you know, with Theatre Media too, that people come in from the outside as well to teach and, and in and out and I think that's a good thing as well. Was it a shock when you graduated? It, it always is, I think. Um, I decided to do honours like most people did because the shock, um, it, you know, wasn't something they were quite ready to deal with. Uh, but yeah, no, it is a bit scary, particularly as a practising artist um, and having to make a, a living out of it. Uh, the NICE scheme helped me, the New Enterprise Incentive Scheme. So I had a year being able to set up um, that fire business and also get the equivalent of the dole. So you always knew you had rent paid and food in your belly, but you could, um, uh, you know, expand your business. Does it feel like it's been nearly 20 years? Oh, don't remind me, I'm 40 this year. <laughs> Welcome to the club, love. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Kath. Alan. I'm here with Stephanie McClelland. She was an, she's currently an actress and she was a graduate in 2009. Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit about what you have done since you've graduated from Theatre Media? Yeah, sure. I left with quite a bit of ambition and uh, enthusiasm for the production world and I kind of fell into that really easily and very quickly and in uh, I kind of uh, yeah, really, really just fell into the flow of working in theatre, events and television. I worked as a production secretary on a t few TV shows and I also did a bit of stage management, went over to America, worked on the CMJ Music Marathon. I kind of uh, I got to a point where I couldn't shake the, the kind of inside my guts feeling that I had to return to acting. So at about 24, two years out of leaving, I returned to pursue a career in acting, went to acting school, got into the Actors Centre and uh, worked under like Dean Carey and Andrew Lloyd and some great movement teachers like Samantha Chester and they really inspired me to just keep going and yeah, after graduating from this acting school, it's just been a bit of a bit of a hustle ever since then. So I'm I'm still on the I'm still on the hustle, but slowly piecing the, the things together and making a a meal out of what can be a, quite a, a hungry field. That's a <laughs> acting is um, such a competitive industry, isn't it? And they say you have to deal with a lot of rejection and really have a hunger for it. How do you deal with some of those challenges that? actresses face in this industry? Yeah, I have grown up a lot falling into this this um, career. So basically, I've really found my, found my feet and my confidence in my craft. And at the end of the day, I think if I don't back myself, then nobody else will. And I... I, I truly believe that so much of what I was taught back in theatre media of um, collaboration and teamwork and what I experienced in the production world, I just I know that I'm only one wheel in the in the big um, machine of making film, television, and theatre, and so it's never it's never really I never have to do the job alone, so the rejection never feels like it's never personal because 
you're only one element to making a really big piece of work work and then when you are do find yourself in the position that you are part of something a job that you care about then you know that you're just contributing your small bit and everyone else is doing what they can to make a product that hopefully you're all proud of at the end let's talk a little bit about your time in Bathurst uh, the course what would you say are some of the skills particularly now that you're still in acting gave you some of the skills that the course gave you uh, back then yeah I I think about my time there and I'm like far out I was wild and I was so I, I felt so free and basically under those under that under that umbrella you left feeling like you could achieve anything and you could approach anyone and you you uh, that notion of being a freelance artist was really um, celebrated and I felt uplifted to just kind of go into any area that I wanted to. So it gave me the ability to work with a varied amount of people and to work with different personalities and, and to know that I could um, bring to the table what I what, what I could bring to the table but also always consistently learning because you, you never you never know everything and there's always something to learn. It's incredible to hear you describe it like that because that's exactly how I felt back in the 90s yeah. and uh, 15 years later. So I think you'd agree it's a pretty unique course. It's an absolutely unique course. I mean, walking in today and just seeing the faces that you maybe haven't seen for eight, seven years, it's um, it's surreal, but it's, it's a beautiful thing that will never leave you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice to chat. <laughs>returned to Bathurst and direct a show which was Unidentified Human Remains and the True Nature of Love. It's a really snappy short title. Um, and I decided then that yes, I did still love directing and that was what I wanted to do. But I got lured back to Sydney with um, an opportunity to work on the Sydney Olympic Organising Committee and was a coordinator for the Harbour of Life Festival. And uh, I didn't actually stay with SOCOG right through to the festival because I left in 1999 and joined NIDA, did the NIDA director's course. And then I have boomeranged a bit to and fro with um, Bathurst. I've gone back to teach three times since that time. Um, I think the years were something like 2001 to 2003 and then 2006 to 2011, something like that, plus that first time. And I have taught um, at the university and in between the two, between 2003 and 2006, I was directing Lion King in Australia for Disney. Um, I was called resident director and I directed the show for Sydney and then it's Melbourne season. Can you tell us a bit about directing because I've talked to a lot of different people today and um, you're an experienced director, um, professional director. What is it that you need to do or to be to be a successful director in the industry? I think you have to 
Well, I think you have to like working with people because ultimately the actors are the people who tell the story. Um, it may be your interpretation of a story or a joint vision for that story, but um, you know you definitely need to enjoy working with people. I personally found the best thing um, that I did when I was in theatre media myself as a student was um, taking advantage of the resources and also the other students and putting on extra shows. So rather than sort of finishing at six o'clock and not being in a different production at the time and saying, oh, well, that's it, let's go home. I would stay with a group of enthusiastic people and we'd rehearse something else and then put it on. And that way, you know, you gain skills and people who potentially wanted to be performers also gain those skills, you know. And it's, I think, um, I guess to be a director, you need to want to tell stories and you need to want to work with people so that you can tell those stories in the best possible way and have an open heart, I think. How do you tell a story and make it successful on the stage? Oh, <laughs> that's a really simple, easy, short question. Um, well, I guess so many people don't actually tell a story very successfully on stage because they might either want to tell their story rather than my conception of it is they want to tell their story and they sort of use a dip, uh, you know a playwright's actual play to tell a story that the playwright never wrote so the audience comes and sees sort of a discombobulation on stage where what somebody's saying what somebody's doing don't exactly match or the costumes and the set or the time period and the attitude don't come together particularly well um, I, I think to tell a story really well, you have to find the heart of the story in a bit of a nub, you know, like really get to the heart of it. What, what was the playwright wanting to say and then follow your truth. And it's not to say that you, you know, obviously if you do a Shakespearean text, you can be timeless with it, but you do need to create that world wherever it is, whether it's Calabria 1850 or it's New York, 2016 you need to stick to that time period and be truthful and honest to it and yet somehow not twist the spine of the play to quote John Carroll to change that text to suit your time period for instance. If you're going to adapt a play how do you balance not twisting the spine of it yet adapting it and, and contemporising it if you like? Well, I guess, again, if you've fallen in love with someone's story so that you want to adapt it um, for the stage, I guess it's that, that trying to find the essence of that story. And I've, not recently, but a couple of years ago, saw Secret River and it's playing again now in Brisbane and it's got a whole other life, which is great. But when I've read Kate Grenville's story and then you see the adaptation, which is beautiful and, you know, very professionally done, but it's kind of a bit of a schmick night in the theatre in that the breadth of that story that Kate Grenville told was in part glossed over as it had to be, as otherwise you would be there for five hours. But having seen Cloud Street, I would rather be there for five hours and get every morsel and every detail of that story. Obviously, that you know they made a choice that artistically or financially it was not possible to, to go that far. And it's not that it's a bad interpretation at all, it's a beautiful story. But for me, if you've read the, the actual text first, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have the depth and breadth that Kate Grenville 
breathed life into her actual novel originally. It's a, it's a very confronting novel in many ways and I've almost avoided going to see the production because I, I knew it would be a kind of gruelling, heart-wrenching experience or, or not, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Well, that, I guess, is, was my issue, actually, was that I also expected gut-wrenching. I wanted that fine detail of the fight that William had on his hands, that he and his family, you know, sent to Australia, the absolute destitution and poverty that he'd come from in England, and then the, the slow turning points in his life in convict Australia to to scratch out and a living, meanwhile destroying Aboriginal culture. But that kind of real rat fight about this is turf, you know, we end up in a turf war because you don't know where I've come from, you know, and, and yet, of course, the story of the Aboriginal desolation is so terrible. But it was one thing that I felt was missing, even though I know they worked with Aboriginal people and there were certainly Aboriginal actors on stage, something about that story the horror of that story wasn't told from my interpretation of the original text to that same gut-wrenching satisfaction, I suppose. And I'm just wondering if that's a, a, a product of the industry. Uh, it, what is the theatre industry like in terms of packaging plays, selling them, getting bums on seats? Uh, do artists compromise? I think artists are forced to compromise all the time. You know, if you... Nobody has a blank checkbook, and um, I guess so many so many productions wouldn't get up at all if there weren't artists, you know, arguing that they need, you know, that story needs to be told. And once they finally get, perhaps after however many years of banging on a door, that this story is important and it needs to be told, and it's got to go into the, you know, lexicon of of Australian stories, for instance, in this country, then. Uh, you know, by the time you successfully get somebody on board, well, when they start to say, oh, well, we can do a three-week rehearsal period or a four-week rehearsal period in a tech, but there's no way I can give you eight weeks. So there goes your research and development period or, you know, you get, you get one research and development and what it teaches you is that you are in completely the wrong direction and you need another period of time also paid <laughs> to do more research and development to get it right this time because now you know, you know, I mean, the theatre is a craft that's made up of thousands and thousands of mistakes and corrections so if you simply don't have the time then the work has to be compromised somewhere because ultimately there's an opening night and paying audience going to come through that door so somewhere you need to cut free perhaps something that you were really passionate about or the costume simply can't be made or you can't get that puppet built because the cost is extraordinary and it's only going to be seen for 30 seconds and you're thinking yes but that's the climax you know whatever and I am absolutely making stuff up while I'm talking to you about different productions and how they might operate but yeah compromise I think is a very best friend of an artist most of the time. Uh, well let's finish up today by saying what uh, what's some advice that you would give a graduate from the theatre media degree who wants to become a director a professional director in the industry where should they start what should they do? Mm. Well, again, another really simplistic question. I think, I look, I do think that there's great opportunities that actually weren't there. I know that everybody says they weren't there when I was around. But um, I think mentorship is much 
are more appreciated and needed, you know. Um, so that recognition is is inside the major major theatre companies, associate directorships, artistic associates. You know, they're they're actually roles that are around now that used not to be around. Um, so I would say that if they can get more experience, whether that's directing for New Theatre in Newtown, Tamarama Rock Surface, and I'm talking Sydney, of course. You know, Melbourne has its eon of independent theatres as well. Just get in there, get some experience, whether that means you, you go bush to get your experience, to actually get the runs on the board, to learn the skills of a director. There's no point getting your first big job and not having much to say in the rehearsal room because you're frozen and think, actually, I, I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, it, you're better off getting whatever experience you can, wherever you can, and learning and growing that way. Thanks for talking to me, Annabelle. Thanks very much, Tracy. Part of the afternoon was dedicated to remembering those who are no longer with us. Here, Bill Blakey and Jerry Boland look back on the extraordinary life of Professor John Carroll, including his significant impact on drama education around the world. If you'd like to donate to the newly established John Carroll Memorial Appeal, go to csu.edu.au forward slash give. Met John and I realised at some point because John, you know, sort of moved into post-grad work and so later years didn't see him quite so much, but he was always there in the background, always fighting for the course, always kicking and going. Um, an amazing man. Well, he did the numbers that sort of proved that when they were trying to cut us back, that that was all wrong. You know, so he would do the hard yards. He would he would fight the fight in language that they understood. Um, interestingly, you know, for somebody who's working with um, Yeah, you went far too soon. And I, I said at his funeral, he was always showing us how to do things. And he certainly showed us how to die well. Those last days, he just he made up his mind. He? <laughs> he, was, he knew he couldn't survive. And he that was a shock, but it was great work, Hattie. He was, I don't know, a mate, something to aspire to. That excellence that you just know that you're always trying to reach that. You know, how, do, how do I work that? How, how can I top that thinking? How can I, how can I work to actually make something that's equivalent to what John is offering? He has given us riches, riches, riches that you will take with you right to the end of your days. And I hope, I hope you pass them on. And if you can contribute something to the scholarship, fantastic. I would say, at least give him a beer. Bill Blakey remembering John Carroll and asking for donations to the John Carroll Scholarship. Yeah, so he's Jerry. Bucks, buys a slab of beer, and that would, uh, from each of us, it's all the tax deduction, uh, and uh, that'll get things started very nicely. Um, the only thing I'd like to add about John uh, is uh, he had a he had an amazing work ethic. He was and he was he was rigorously honest. 
he had an amazing work ethic, and he had uh, quite apart from a great uh, capacity to tell stories, um, he could see uh, over the curve of the horizon. And it partly comes from his love of uh, speculative fiction, science fiction, and so forth. So he had a lifetime of that, but he, he could really see the next steps. And part of that came from a very curious mind, a lot of reading, and uh, a very deep scholarship. When we, you know, move into the, the other part, when we finally get a drink in our hands, um, <laughs> remember, just take a moment to remember what they meant, what they mean, and let's chase life. Coming up in the third and final episode in this podcast series, The Hill Never Ends, you'll hear a live recording of Dr. Kate Smith performing Rusty Nails, and I also catch up with Kate directly after her performance. I chat with Mike Finch and also Jerry Boland. Thank you to Black Cat Productions as well as Mike Finch for their production support. Thanks to 1995 graduate Matt Elliott and his band Two Rivers Blues for the music. Check out their albums on iTunes. This podcast, The Hill Never Ends, was produced by Tracy Burton and is available on SoundCloud, iTunes and soon my new website, Burton Media Educational Podcasts. For more information about the Bachelor of Communications Theatre Media degree, head to the Charles Sturt University website and search for undergraduate degree, Communications Theatre Media. You can also visit the Theatre Media Facebook page to follow latest events, network and to keep walking the hill that should never end. Thanks for listening. Can I spend some time with you?